0: From the Grand Reading Room in the Nashville Public Library, this is Just Conversations, Nashville Reads How to Be an Anti-Racist, presented by the Metro Human Relations Commission.
1: Hello and welcome. My name is Timothy Hughes. Uh, I'm a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana and here uh, as a part of Black Voters Matter and a part of what we're calling the Just Conversations around a really fascinating book Uh, that I hope that you're all reading right now and are looking forward to reading. Uh, It's called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. What we're gonna be talking about today is we're, actually I'll I'll let you know, we're we're filming today in the grand reading room of the National Public Library and I'm joined here by a couple of colleagues who are gonna be discussing uh, the topic of power and its dynamic in this book. Uh, I'm Grateful to be here with uh, such amazing folks and looking forward to having a very productive conversation. And so I'll start with this. Uh, In the section about power in chapter three, um, we're talking about the construct of race. And specifically, Ibram X. Kendi describes race as a power construct of collected or merged difference that lives socially. And so what we'll talk about is just a, a short portion here from the book that specifically talks about the ways in which power can show up in the narrative of race. Uh, This particular portion is found on page 42, it's near the bottom, and it starts with, from the junior, Black Americans of Achievement series onward. It's a discussion about a a topic um, for the the author itself. I had been taught that racist ideas cause racist policies, that ignorance and hate cause racist ideas, that the root problem of racism is ignorance and hate. But that gets the chain of events exactly wrong, according to Kendi. The root problem, from Prince Henry to President Trump, has always been the self-interest of racist power. Powerful economic, political, and cultural self-interest the primitive accumulation of capital in the case of the Royal Portugal and the subsequent slave traders has been behind racist policies. Powerful and brilliant intellectuals in the tradition of Gomes de Zurada then produced racist ideas to justify the racist policies of their era, to redirect the blame for their eras' racial inequality away from those policies and onto people. So as a part of our discussion today, we'll talk a little bit about how we get to these uh, policy constructions, some of the ideas at the root of them, and how it is that we can address them. So we'll start today our conversation. If you could introduce yourself to our audience and tell us how it is that you come to this topic. Thank
0: you, Tim, and it's a pleasure to be with you today. I appreciate the invitation. I'm Vic Sorrell, and I consider myself an aspiring anti-racist because I don't think that anti-racist is ever a title that we self-appoint or that we ever achieve. Uh, I think it's an ongoing commitment to learning, understanding, uh, dissecting, and hopefully uh, dismantling uh, racist structures and policies. Um, The way I come to the work is through HIV community organization and mobilization and engagement and learning the racial undertones of why HIV is such a disproportionately affecting uh, illness for black and brown people. Uh, And that and also being a cisgender gay man and having my privilege called out um, in public once about 10 years ago, which was a great uh, experience for me because it literally broke me open to the realization uh, of what privilege is and allowed me to sort of start the journey. So I don't know if I would have come to it otherwise based on my background and you know, how I was raised if it had not been for the HIV work and for that one uh, really important person in my life that loved me enough to make me aware of my own privilege.
1: There's so much to, uh, to talk about uh, as it relates to the dynamic of power and I really appreciate you sharing that story. I was reminded this morning about the power of the stories that we tell ourselves and the ways in which narrative has a role in how we understand our our uh, our, our kind of position in the paradigm of power. I, I particularly appreciate the way that you described uh, how it is that you had a person in your life and the, the work that you do that contributed to your understanding of how you better create a fuller narrative, have a better understanding of how you can play a role in dismantling and unpacking issues related to power and privilege. Could you talk a little bit more about um, how it is that, you know, we deal with that that challenge, with that discomfort. The initial approach can be so challenging for some folks. Uh, In particular, when we're looking at uh, um, the work of, of Kendi and others who have these discussions around race and power and structures and privilege, Where do we really even begin that? How did you begin uh, in, in unpacking that journey after having that moment? So I think it begins with a personal inventory of value
0: and sort of getting really honest with ourselves about what we value and why. And I think the reality of social inequity is that only certain gifts are brought to the game because only certain gifts are valued. Only those gifts that are housed many times in white bodies are the gifts that get to the game, right? And so I think when you realize the opportunity that equity brings to our society, to our world, to our communities, when all of the people can have equal value, then the gifts can all be brought to the game. So I think it starts there. or at least it did for me, in realizing the opportunity. Um, And and then also sort of realizing this experience of power, again, as a cisgender white man, that sort of in alignment with what I think was true for the forefathers and those who first established, the white uh, uh, folks who first established uh, the human trade, uh, as we spoke about before the conversation is in order to experience your own power, there has to be somebody that you feel more powerful than. So that then becomes, I think, a journey of personal power. And where do you really have an opportunity around experiencing your own power that is not in direct correlation with the subjugation and the exploitation of another? Where does power come from if it doesn't come from being powerful over others?
1: Right. Yeah. I think that you really, um, you're really describing something that I think is also an important part for uh, those of us who work in different spaces. Uh, at, and, uh, in the work that I do with Black Voters Matter, a lot of the conversation around power is really less about that hierarchy and the separation of who um, is, 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 uh, is empowered and who is disempowered in sort of a, stru- a rigid sense, and more about the ways that we share power, the role that we can play involved in leveraging political power through our votes, through our voices, through our capacity for protest and things of that nature. And so I think that what you describe there in the way that we reimagine both our role in power uh, and how we participate in it and the ways in which we can really sort of understand what power is, um, that it's not a dirty word, that it's not a bad thing. Historically, it's been leveraged in ways that can be argued to be very bad and very dangerous for certain people. Um, and we should be aware of that history, but we also have the capacity to imagine and to, and to create a world and a structure and a system uh, in which we can be, uh, can be different and, and participate differently in the ways that we leverage power. Um, I'm reminded uh, of the work that uh, is done here in the city of Nashville with the creation of the Community Oversight Board, for example, where the people came together, created a policy and through that policy have begun the process of helping to uh, redirect and regalvanize uh, power around the issue of police accountability, public safety, personal responsibility, in ways that um, that were, were unique to the city of Nashville but not uh, unique from the standpoint that they had not been envisioned before. But it's just a new project here in the city and it's it's been done uh, in the response to uh, concern excuse me, concerns that certain members of the community had around uh, how it was that power was being leveraged and, and, and used in ways that might make them feel less safe. Uh, and so it's wonderful that we're able to, to have these discussions, have these, uh, these moments where we really get to sort of drill down and, and learn more about ways in which we ourselves can be empowered in, in these discussions and what we can do to help make a better world. So, um, so I know that we're, we're drawing short on our time, and I wanna make sure that we, we share with our audience um, some, some useful um, next steps. So uh, of course, we're encouraging everyone to continue their read of the book, to continue to unpack these issues related to power and privilege and race. But of course, we wanna give some assignments. We got some homework that we're gonna talk about today. And so if you could give you know just a, a brief description of you know, what you're, what you're hoping will be ha- carried forward in this work, um, what you'd like to see happen with members of the community in ways in which we can use our understanding of power in this moment. And if you could give uh, just a brief statement about um, what you'd like uh, our audience to take away from this discussion, particularly this chapter around power and privilege and how we can use it to benefit a larger swath of, of humanity, what would that be?
0: Sure. I love, first of all, what you said earlier about power can be a very scary thing when other people have it. And I think that's a great take home for my white brothers and sisters and myself, uh, is, you know, just sort of a reminder of the possibilities and the power that actually lives when everybody has power, right? Um, So in addition to that, uh, you know, I think Dr. Kendi brings up the opportunity of Policy in, in this book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And he speaks to the reality that all policy is either racist, meaning it facilitates inequity, or it's anti-racist, meaning it facilitates equity. And so I realize that for myself and a lot of white people, the um, opportunity that is understanding racism can be very daunting. Because it is very layered and it is very nuanced. And we have been socialized as white people not to see it. So, our work then can become can we look at a policy and determine whether or not the policy facilitates equity or facilitates inequity? And that can be one great place to start. And when I say policy, I mean the policies in your own nonprofit organizations that you serve, in your churches in your city governments, especially, Uh, you know, we, the reality that we live in is that nothing is real until it's written down. And when people say they're committed to inclusivity, there needs to be metrics in place that validate that commitment and that create accountability around that commitment or else, in my opinion, that, that commitment is not real. So in addition to being educated and understanding the realities around racism and the history of black and brown people in this country so that we can point out injustice when it shows up, because I think that's a very important part of our work uh, as white people as well. I think the work of white people is to assume the responsibility of dismantling white supremacy. Uh, There's a really important curriculum, uh, Esther Armagh, it's called Emotional Justice, and in Emotional Justice, Esther speaks about the work of black and brown people is to heal, because if black and brown people are assuming the responsibility of dismantling white supremacy, and yet they are continually experiencing the events that we see occurring in society all of the time that are debilitating, where is the opportunity to heal? So our work as white people is to assume that responsibility. This is not a fight that belongs to black and brown people that we as white people are showing up for, this is our family fight. This is our fight as human beings. White people have the opportunity to assume the leadership in dismantling white supremacy because they see the evil, the terror, and the possibility
1: of the world that could be without white supremacy. I really appreciate that raised uh, conversation. And I also appreciate sort of the, um, the, the uh, consideration um, that we all have a role to play. Uh, and I think that that's a critically important conversation in which to engage. I think it's uh, also important for us as we begin to unpack and to, to really drill down on the issues of the power dynamics that we understand uh, how we educate ourselves about power is very important. Our history our personal stories. Uh, I'm, I was reminded this morning about uh, the power of narrative and how it is that we tell both stories of ourselves and about ourselves, but also the ways in which the stories that we learn that exist in the ether that are a part of how it is that we come into being are extremely powerful stories. And so when we when we have the ability to, uh, to use those stories and that narrative to our benefit so that we can grow and become uh, have a deeper understanding of ourselves and our place in the world, I really think that we have a capacity and an opportunity to really uh, change uh, uh, and transform the world around us, which is power indeed. And so uh, so I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to have this discussion with you today. I encourage those who are, uh, who are still reading this chapter to continue forward, to do so, uh, to learn and understand uh, what Kendi has to say about the history of power, the way in which it has been leveraged in the country, but also the ways in which we have an opportunity ourselves to assume and reimagine power. Uh, So thank you so much for joining us today in this Just Conversation around Ibram X. Kendi's How to be an Anti-Racist, and specifically the chapter around power. Once again, my name is Timothy Hughes with Black Voters Matter. Thank you so much for joining us. Just
0: Conversations is presented by the Metro Nashville Human Relations Commission. Executive Producers Sarah Imran, Mark Etherly, Barbara gunn and Bob Ferrissey. Directed by Cooper Smith and produced by Alex Bennett, Caroline Pace, and Cooper Smith. Special thanks to the Nashville Public Library, Jenna Schmid, and Mark Crowder. For more information and more episodes, visit justconversations.org. Follow us on Twitter at Just Conversate, on Instagram at Just Conversaciones, or on Facebook at Just Conversate.